I would like to invite everyone to stand in the word of the Lord. Today's scripture reading is taken from Numbers 25, verse 1 to 18. Let's, count, uh, let's read together in count of three. One, two, three. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to hold with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Pale, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fears of anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Pale. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of the meeting. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the men of Israel into the chamber, and pierced both of them, the men of Israel, and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague of the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were twenty-four thousand. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back from my wrath the people of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, Behold, I give him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for people of Israel. The name of the slain one of Israel who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri, the son of Salu, chief of his house, belonging to the Midianites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zur, who was the tribal head of the house in Midian. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Harass the Midianites and strike them down, for they harass you with their lives with which they beguiled you in the matter of Pearl, and the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the chief, Midian, their sister, who was killed on the day of the plague of the town of Pearl. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, please take a seat. Oh, well, it's a great joy uh, to be here with you. Uh, thank you for the very warm welcome. Uh, thanks for the invitation, Pastor Josiah. It's, it's been great. Uh, we've met each other once, uh, and the coffee was so good that he invited me here um, <laughs> today. So it's a great joy, uh, but it, it's also a great joy to, to, to meet Pastor Yos and uh, meet someone who has the same heart for the gospel as I do, which is just such a joy. Um, a really difficult passage, and you might be thinking... <laughs> Is this the second? Second Sunday of the year. What a strange passage to preach on. Uh, I was looking at Instagram and, and there was a reel about New Year, New You, same God. Maybe, maybe you were thinking a more positive message, but here we are. We're in Numbers 25. Um, so please let me pray for us uh, and then we'll look at God's Word together. 
Gracious Father, uh, we give you thanks that you are holy, holy, holy. You are worthy of all our praise, all our worship. Every minute of every second of every day is yours. Lord, and yet, and yet so often we don't live giving you all the worship and praise and honor that you deserve. And so we pray today that as we look at this part of your word, that you would show us the horror of our sin. And in so doing, you would show us the beauty of your son, Jesus. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so I turn uh, 34 this year. Uh, you might be surprised. Look, look young, maybe I look older than that. But after 33 birthdays, my birthday is still the most important day of the year for me. It needs to be perfect. I don't know if you're like this, but for me, it needs to be perfect. If not, five-year-old Jeremy going to come out sulking, pouting, why does nobody love me, da, da 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 And so in the months leading up to my birthday, Ichi, my poor wife, Kezia, uh, she's stressing out. She'll be asking me, what do you want to do for your birthday? Who do you want to invite? Do you want to invite friends, family? Do you want to party? And of course, I'll play hard to get. <laughs> and I'll say, oh, no, 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 I, I, don't, I don't want anything. Whereas really, I want a birthday month, please. <laughs> Every day where everything is all about making Jeremy feel loved and happy. And of course, Kezia, I'm not going to tell her any of this. She's supposed to figure it out, read my mind and, and figure out. See, I'm a complicated guy. I'm complicated. See, today we look at sin. And we'll see that sin is complicated. Sin is complex, just like Jeremy and birthdays. And, and here are my three points uh, this afternoon, this evening. Uh, it's never just about the sex. Oh, interesting. Talking about sex today. Uh, point two, it's never just about you. Uh, point three, it's never just going away on its own. So it's never just about the sex. It's never just about you. It's never just going away on its own. And we start today with point one. It's never just about the sex. Uh, you may have heard of the communication iceberg. You can see it there. If you can imagine an iceberg, the tip of the iceberg above the surface of the water, while the rest of the iceberg is underneath the surface, it's the same with communication. Uh, there's what we say and what we do. That's the 20% that we can see above the water. And then there's what we really believe, our true thoughts, what we don't see that makes up the 80% of the iceberg underneath the water. I think this is a helpful analogy because it helps us understand how sin works. See, so often it can be easy to spot the 20% of sin that's above the water. Murder, stealing, lying, adultery, anger. All of us would say, yeah, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin. But there's the 80% of sin that we don't see. Like when you cut into a piece of fruit, uh, if, uh, if you cut into sin, you'd open it up and you find the underlying motivations of the heart that lead to sin. And ultimately, you'd find the idolatry and false worship that is at the heart of every sin. See, in Numbers chapter 25, God is preparing a new generation of Israelites to enter the promised land. But as we've come to expect from the Israelites, they make a complete mess of things as usual. See there in verse 1, it says, While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women. This is exactly what God commanded his people not to do. Don't have sexual relations with people from outside Israel. Now, you might think, what's the big deal with some harmless, consexual a bit of sex, a bit of fun? Well, did you notice that how quickly that what starts as sex 
very quickly ends up in idolatry. And it ends up in false worship of other gods. And what begins as yoking and joining yourself to someone in sex ends with prostituting yourself and yoking and joining yourself to false gods and bowing down to them. That's the big deal. That's why who you have sex with matters. And this is exactly what happens here with the Moabite women. In verse 2 it says, The Moabite women, they invited them, the Israelites, to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. See, sin is so much more than just sex. Let's be clear. Sex within the covenant of marriage between one man, one woman, is a good gift from God to be enjoyed. God made it. He thought of it. He's delighted when husband and wife enjoy each other. But when sex or anything else, for that matter, becomes an idol, it becomes a bad thing. God's gift is ruined and contaminated. See, 80% of sin is below the surface because sin is idolatry of the heart, which often plays out in two ways. This is how idolatry plays out. Idolatry is, it plays out in giving something or someone the place of God in your life making them the subject or the object of your allegiance, your devotion, your desires, your worship, your trust, your loves, your hopes. And idolatry plays out in trying to get from something or someone what you can only get from God. Trying to get security or significance or ultimate joy or meaning and purpose in life from something or someone other than God. And this is what we see at the end of Numbers chapter 25. Verse 14, it says, The name of the Israelite who was killed with the Midianite woman, was Zimri, son of Salu, the leader of a Simeonite family. And the name of the Midianite woman who was put to death was Cosby, daughter of Zur, a tribal chief of a Midianite family. See, I find this fascinating. See, at first maybe you're wondering, why do we have all these details? But I think it shows us that this isn't just any two people having sex. It's actually two families trying to seal a strategic union, a political or military alliance. It's the son of the leader of a leading Israelite family having sexual relations with the daughter of the tribal chief of a Midianite family. This is a scheme to get from sex what the Israelites can only find in God. Security, safety, protection, peace that only God ultimately gives, they're looking to get it from others. Do you see now why it's not just about sex? Sin is idolatry, and this is so helpful. See, just because you don't believe in God doesn't mean you don't believe in a God or gods. You just don't believe in the Christian God. See, secular uh, humanist and atheist David Foster Wallace, uh, he tragically took his own life, but before he did, he said this. He said, there is no such thing as not worshipping. Every single person worships. The only choices we get is what we worship. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you in the ground. Worship power. You will feel weak and afraid, and you will need more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect. You smart person, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. So it's never just about the sex. And so, some questions for you to ask today. What have you given the place of God in your life? 
What are you trying to get from someone or something that you can ultimately only find in God? To what do you give your devotion, your allegiance, your love to? What have you put your hopes and your trust in? What ultimately, if you had it, do you believe that it's going to save you, make you happy, feel like everything is under control? Whatever it is, if it's a relationship, if it's sex, if it's your spouse, if it's your children, if it's your career, if it's your parents' approval, if it's money, your investments, a statue, if it's your intelligence, if it's your achievements, accomplishments, degrees, if it's your health, it will either destroy and devastate you and those around you, or you will destroy it. See, have you ever tried to make your children, your spouse, your job, be God for you? Did you see how you crushed them under the weight of your impossible expectations and in turn, they crushed you with disappointment? That's point one. Point two now, it's never just about you. See, talking about the communication iceberg, I must confess that one of the things that I find difficult in marriage uh, with Kezia is communication. And I know it's hard to believe because so much of my job as a pastor is communication, but I really struggle. Uh, see, Kezia is, is constantly asking me, what should I do about this? And what are you doing tomorrow? And what's happening? And where are we going? Because I never tell her what's going on in here. I just keep it all in there and I don't tell her. I like to think of myself as a man of surprise, you know, spontaneous and, and always does the unexpected. I love to come home and say, hey, Kez, let's go out for ice cream. Even though Kezia has already planned something to go with the kids to the library. I'll come home during the day and expect Kezia to drop everything. But she'll say, well, what do we need to bring? Now, where are we going? Do we need snacks or do we need a change of clothes for the kids? I'll often say the morning of, of something, oh, hey, remember today we have lunch with, you know, that, that person. And Kezia will say, what, what lunch? You never told me. See, I'm so used to thinking only for myself. <laughs> a bit too close to her. <laughs> I'm so used to thinking only of myself as if... I'm in a relationship just with Jeremy, and I'm the only one that gets affected by my decisions, not realizing that I have an impact on others. But this is what God's people are like as well. They don't see that what they do individually has an impact on others corporately. See there in verse 4. It says, the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people, kill them and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. See, at first, maybe this seems a bit unfair to you. Why does God specifically target the leaders, the judges? That doesn't seem right. They didn't do anything. It wasn't them who bowed down to those, those false gods. And did you see how God doesn't just say to kill them, but he says to Moses, expose them. Make a public spectacle of them. Make sure you embarrass them, shame them publicly. Don't bury their bodies, but instead put their heads on sticks in a public place for everyone to see. That This all seems like a bit too much, doesn't it? But I think God is teaching us something here. First, it's, it shows us the seriousness of sin that God will not tolerate worship of idols. God has clearly said in giving the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. But secondly, the reason why only the leaders were to be punished is because the leaders are held responsible. They're accountable for everyone else. And this upsets us, or we think this is strange because like Moses, we believe that sin is personal, individual, and private. It doesn't affect anyone else except for me. My sin doesn't affect anyone else. It only affects me. 
And have a look at how Moses responds to God there in verse 5. So Moses said to Israel's judges, Each of you must put to death those of your people who have yoked themselves to the Baal of Pure. See, this isn't actually what God commanded Moses to do, actually. God specifically told Moses to kill and expose the leaders of Israel, while Moses, he only instructs them to put to death those who are guilty of having yoked themselves to Baal. But all of this to say that Moses is thinking how we might think. What's he doing? Well, he's only punishing the guilty. That's what's fair, isn't it? You punish the guilty. And that's only because we're so drenched in Western individualistic culture. We don't realize that it's not just about me, myself, and I. We often think, you know, well, I'm not hurting anyone else. This, this is not a problem. But here's what we see today. What you do impacts others. It affects others. Sin is never just about you. It is not personal. It's not private. It's not individual. Others pay the price for your sins. Whether it's your children, your family, your church, your small group, your friends, your classmates, they are slaughtered as a sacrifice offered at the altar of your idolatry so you can get what you want. So you can feel better about yourself, as if what you do matters, as if you matter, so you can have pleasure, so you can feel important. That's point two. It's never just about you. Sin is never, never just about you. See, I think the challenge for us today is to start thinking about the we instead of just about me. So you consider this for a moment. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he compares the local church to a body that has many parts. There's the eyes, the hands, the feet, the ears, but we are one body. And how about you? Do you see yourself as part of a body or, or just a body part? See, God has made us in such a way that what we do matters to others. It has a way of impacting others. Your sin doesn't just stay hidden in the dark, the private corner of your bedroom. Your sin is actually hurting your brothers and sisters. At the very least, it's stopping you from being the eye and the ear, the foot, the hand that, that we need you to be. Please, let's consider one another the next time we sin. That's point two. Now point three. It's a sin, it's never just going to go away on its own. See, there's a video online. Uh, it went viral a, a while ago. It's called The Magic Coffee Table. Has anyone seen? seen The Magic Coffee Table? You can look it up on YouTube. Not now, maybe later. And it starts in this video with a wife complaining to, about her husband. Oh, you never do anything. Why do you never cook dinner? Why do you never take initiative? To which the husband says, hey, just, just relax. relax. It's going to be all right. Watch this. Watch this. I want to show you. Ever since we moved in this place, I've been doing this. I don't know how it happens, but you put a basket of dirty clothes on the coffee table. And the next day, the clothes are clean. They're folded and in a perfect pile on our bed. To which the wife says, you can't be serious. Yeah, I didn't believe it either. And I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want to jinx it. But it just keeps happening. And it works for other things too. You put dirty box, pizza boxes, dirty plates, dirty tissues. You put it on this coffee table and it just disappears. And the next scene shows two police officers. They're investigating the disappearance of his wife. Who's, she's left him the next day. And he's explaining to them how his wife must have got up in the middle of the night to get a drink and fallen into the magic coffee table and vanished. And the female officer, she says, are you insane? To which the male police officer says, no, he's not. I've got the same coffee table at home. <laughs> and we can be a bit like this with our sin, can't we? We can leave sin in our lives and in the lives of others unaddressed on the coffee table. 
We turn a blind eye. We don't pull each other up. We don't say anything because we don't want to make it awkward, you know, with each other. We don't want people to leave church. Uh, maybe they won't like what we say if we say it. And we hope and wish that sin will somehow just vanish, just resolve itself on its own without us having to do anything like a magic coffee table. We put sin on the magic coffee table just hoping it's going to disappear. You know, I'm guilty of this. I think we all can be. And this culture of avoidance is there among the Israelites as well in Numbers 25. See there in verse 6, it says, Then an Israelite man brought into the camp a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. See, think with me for a moment. Why do you think the man and the woman had the guts to do this in front of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel? This is flagrant, bold sinning. <laughs> this couple is almost parading their sin in front of everybody. They don't even care if anyone sees them. And I think it's because they knew that no one would say anything. They knew that no one was going to stop them. Maybe he's just taking her back to his tent for some tea and coffee. Ah, don't be so naive. Everyone knows exactly what they're doing and no one says anything. In fact, it's not until Phineas intervenes that anyone does anything. See there in verse 7, it says, When Phineas, son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly. He took a spear in his hand and he followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear into both of them, right through the Israelite man and into the woman's stomach. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. Isn't that just astounding? It takes 24,000 people dying of the plague before anyone does anything. <laughs> and we might look at this and shake our heads, but I reckon we actually sympathize with the Israelites. We understand them. And I get it. We don't want to upset anyone. We don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, make things awkward. And so this is challenging, isn't it? See, are there things that you're leaving unsaid and unaddressed today? What do you allow to go on? Leaders at Rock, what are you tolerating, avoiding? A difficult conversation are you? What is it going to take before you do or say anything? 24,000 people dead? Is that how long it's going before you do anything? When will you care more about God's name than preserving your own name? See, if we're honest, and I see this in myself, what it comes down to is we love ourselves more than we love others. See, I've always found this quote from atheist, another atheist, Penn Jillette, confronting. It says this, I've always said, he said, that I don't respect people who don't proselytize or evangelize. You know, I don't respect people who, who, who say, uh, I, I don't proselytize or evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them that, that this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize or evangelize, and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that the truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you anyway. And this is much more important than that. And so is there someone that you need to have a conversation with after this? Is there something that you need to say that you've left unsaid for far too long? Uh, see, I'll finish here. 
I preach a lot shorter than Pastor Yosai does. See, like Jeremy and birthday, sin is, is complicated. It's complicated. And often we are far too casual about sin. Our sin, others' sin. When actually sin is serious, idolatry runs deep in our hearts. It's, the, it's pervasive. It touches everything and everyone around, and it will kill us. So what do we need? We need people like Phineas, don't we? Phineas, about whom the Lord said in verse 11, Phineas, son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, he has turned my anger away from the Israelites, since he was as zealous for my honor among them as I am. I did not put an end to them in my zeal. Therefore tell him I am making my covenant of peace with him he and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites but I think more than Phineas you know who we need I think we need Jesus because we know that we aren't as zealous as we should be we aren't jealous for God's honor like Phineas was we don't care about God's name as much as protecting our own name which is why we need Jesus, who was zealous for God's glory and honor. But here's the difference between Jesus and Phineas. Instead of driving the spear into the ones who had sinned like Phineas did, and by his one righteous act, he made atonement for the Israelites, a spear was driven into Jesus' side so that the blood flowed. Nails pierced his hands and his feet as he hung on a Roman cross in the place of sinners, and by his one righteous act, he made atonement for the sins of the whole world, that whoever believes in him might be forgiven of their sins and have life in his name. And that's what we need, isn't it? Someone who will be pierced for us, who can cover all the times that we failed in our zeal for God's honor. Someone who instead of treating us as our sins deserve and driving the spear into us, he takes the punishment of our sins on himself. Someone who's pierced once and for all so that the weight of condemnation and wrath for our sins will never pierce us because it pierced him. And now seeing him, will you still sin? See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet or thorns? composed so rich a crown. See, it's been my experience that the only thing, the one thing that can really free a sinner from the grip of sin is that he or she be drawn instead to the beauty of the grace of God in Jesus who is pierced for our transgressions. See, sin is never just about sex. It's about the idols of the heart. What has got your heart today? And sin is never just about you. Your sin is hurting others. Don't believe the lie that, that your sin only affects you. It doesn't. And sin, it's never just going to go away on its own. What do you need to address? What will you no longer tolerate anymore? Yes, sin is complicated and complex. But now that we know these things, friends, today let's leave our sin behind and live for him, honoring him in all we do and say. And may this be our prayer in 2024. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. May the word of God dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour so that all may see I triumph only through his power. May the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fill the sea, him exalting, self-abasing, this is victory. May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win. And may they forget the channel seeing only him. Let's pray.
Please pray with me. Our gracious Father, Lord, we are those who, who, who are guilty and condemned. We sin and we fail to give you the honor and the glory and the praise and the worth that you deserve. And yet, because you so love the world, you sent your son into the world. He was pierced when we should have been pierced. He died where we should have died, oh God. He was condemned as a sinner, even though it was we who should have been condemned as a sinner. Oh God, show us the, the gravity of our sin, the horror of our sin. And today, show us the beauty of your son, Jesus. That you have dealt with our sin once and for all. That in you we find forgiveness and life. Help us to fix the eyes of our heart on you today. That we might live our life of sin behind. And we, that we may be channels of grace wherever we go this week. We pray these things in Jesus.